Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow and I'm joined by my best man, Nick Dostal. How you doing there? Jesus Shuttlesworth. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. yes, I finally got you to watch it. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And I am, uh, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's going to be a, an emotional day. Movies that make us cry. We're really excited to do this. You know, we've like circled this topic a lot because we kind of get emotional talking about movies and sometimes and how certain events in our life, we relate them to movies or movies relate to those events. It's crazy, but we enjoy talking about these movies. We enjoy showing a little emotion and movies that make us cry is not just one thing. It doesn't just mean movies that we think are like sad and dramatic and make us ball because they're horrific. It's not that. It could be that, but it's also movies that make us cry because they leave us with a profound sense of joy or love or happiness. So those are two categories right there. And then I thought of a final category that might produce the uh, most cries from me, which is pure cinema cries or like those inspiring moments in cinema that aren't, they're not sad. They're not necessarily happy. They're just like everything goes well with the movie. It could be cinematography working in our favor, match with score, match with acting, of course, match with just everything. Everything just clicks. These This can last for 10 seconds, genuinely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Terrence Malick can capture this yep. in 10 seconds, and I can get like a little shiver, and then my head will still be back there in that 10-second shot, and I like, want to cry about it, but we've moved on to you know something completely <laughs> else. But those are the categories that we're thinking of here. But you know, just in general, we're talking about crying today. Are you a crier in life? Like, are, do you consider yourself a crier and what makes you cry generally? I'm actually not a very big crier, but this is the thing. I, I do this thing where I get very, very welled up. Mm-hmm. I approach the crying threshold and a tear may come out or I may get like, like weepy or not weepy, but like misty, but it's not a full on cry. And so when I have full-on cries, I'm, like, so appreciative of them. Yeah. But it's very rare for me to actually get into, like, a sob. But I've realized that I reach my crying, like, line with movies a lot. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, me too. More than anything. Like, That's, yes, yes, I, for sure. In putting to, we, we talked about this category since day one. This has been yeah. a yeah. long-standing idea that we've had and we've always liked it but for whatever reason it took us now to get here well we almost did this as one of our top 10 or rather our first 10 episodes because we planned out those episodes they were very carefully kind of curated and i don't know what we did instead it might have even been movies based on plays but so that's how long we've been talking about doing this yeah exactly and now that i've put together this unbelievably long list of movies that's when i realized that i fucking cry a lot it's awesome i mean yeah i definitely the thing my biggest triggers for tears are movies there's no question that's just the way it's always been i'm i don't have any block about crying in real life i will i definitely i'm definitely not opposed to it or shy about it there's nothing like that it's like hey if something is moving me cool if something's really sad and it gets you you know i've talked about crying on this podcast like really recently so i think in life i've gone through certain periods it's because of where i was at emotionally when like i wouldn't cry 
in movies or really like in life at all. And then it took a movie to like break that. And I'm going to talk about a few of those today. And it took like a sequence in a movie to just let the tears flow. And then I'd go on like, you know, a five to seven year streak of crying very easily. And then maybe I'd get emotionally balled up again. And it's always been a movie that broke that open for me again. And I've never gone looking for it. I'm never like, Oh God, I need a good cry. It just happens. And not all of them, but a number of the scenes I'm going to reference today, they may not be like standard crying scenes yeah, that a lot of people yeah. cry in. And that's what's so cool about it because all this has to do with our personal experience, what we've been through, what haunts us, what makes us happy, all that stuff. That's what that's what's so cool about this. These are so subjective to the point that we have not shared our list with each other. Yep. Like I've talked about a number of these on previous podcasts. We're going to get to all that. I'm not going to, you know, if we've gone down and told like a pretty sad story, I don't want to keep telling it over and over necessarily. I could guide people to maybe which episode it is, but you know, I've referenced some of these movies before, but there's a lot of things here that I have never talked about on this podcast before. And I'm really excited that I have no actual idea. The ones you're going to mention, it's just cool. Yeah. And we and we really did kind of break these down in ways where there's a certain I don't know if theme is the right word, but there's a certain element um, that is a reoccurring theme that I will always cry mm-hmm. because these movies tackle a certain thing that makes me sad. Yeah. I have one. I have one of those, but it doesn't. It's not something that makes me sad. It's something that always makes me happy. But uh, when I was making my happy list, I went, "Oh wow, there's like there's a, quite a few movies in here that make me cry for one exact reason." So yes. I broke that out into like a fun little top five. <laughs> you know what I just realized about what how this just clicked to me as I was telling the story of how I cry and how I reached that line. Mm-hmm. I actually think that it's because of acting. Well, yeah, I was going to mention this before we got into our list, but yeah, keep going. There's, there is a, not a rule, that's not the right word at all, but there is a sort of idea that's expressed when you're acting that not necessarily no one wants to see you break down in tears. They want to see you get to that point and then try to close it up Mm -hmm. because it's much more interesting to see someone like with the, with the boil like coming over the edge then rather than just take the whole entire lid off. Right. I think that might actually be a a reason as to why I might do that because that's been ingrained in me for freaking years. Yeah. And then you were in one of my movies and I said, where the lid comes all the way the fuck off here, (laughs) buddy. I I want to see the tears. I want to see. No, but what I was going to say is that I've, I have had some difficulty with directing a, male performer to cry yeah. to get to the tears it's you know i understand it's a very vulnerable thing to have happen when the camera's right in front of you and someone's saying do it do it go and that was i you know we sat down before we made i'm alive mm-hmm. our last movie and i said like you don't have to bring it in every chapter because the movie is about 30 minutes long and it's split into five parts but you are going to have to like hysterically sob in one of them. And then the thing you're talking about, like kind of get to that place and keep it there for another chapter. So, you know, can you do this? And it's something like, I, I don't know. Can, can anyone as an actor, like, can you even answer that? I don't like, think so. A, a, to, to a director ahead of time. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And I knew that it's like, it's such an open ended question. I, I wasn't like, can you do this? I remember very clearly setting the expectations for you and saying, this is where I expect us to go. If you want to give me more, that's always an option, but this is where we need to hit. And you did. 
And I think I think it's just I know this is a side tangent, but I know Leonardo DiCaprio talks about crying is very hard a lot. Mm-hmm. He's he cries in almost every single movie he's in. I think. Yeah, he's a great crier. He's a great, great crier. crier, great crier. But yeah. I remember when he was younger, he would talk in interviews, be like, "It was a really hard day today. I had to cry today." And so I feel like every actor kind of has their own way. Mm-hmm. If they know that that's what the job is and that's what they have to do and they have to get there, then you kind of have to find your way. All right, let's get into these lists. We're going to start with the sad ones because, you know, we're just going to get the, all the sad ones out of the way. Okay. <laughs> because some are, some are, you know, quite, quite sad. I'm going to start with, there are four here that I have referenced pretty heavily on previous podcast episodes. So I was going to get some of those out of the way. And then I figured if you have any on your sad list that you've talked about a lot, we could do that as well and kind of knock them out. I think that's a good idea for our mad movie buffs here at What Are You Watching? I'm sure you've heard Alex and I talk a lot about these movies that make us cry. So I, you probably already know what we're about to say. So we figured we'd kind of get these ones out of the way a little bit. So we're not just spouting off the same old diatribes. Right, right. So I'll start with, if there is a movie, if someone goes, what is the number one movie that can make you cry? It's no question. It is Antoine Fisher, directed by Denzel Washington, released in 2002. This is the only movie that is on my list today twice. It's in the sad column and the happy column. And I talked about this, my relationship to this movie a lot in all the way back in episode five, memorable movie going experiences and episode 32 movies that inspired me to direct. But essentially, I lost a very, very dear friend of mine when I was 17. It was a car. He was in a car accident on Christmas evening and he died as a result of his injuries on New Year's Day. And it was just it was so devastating and brutal. And this was the first movie I saw after that. And this is a very emotional movie for a number of different reasons. But so that like, just because the the movie is emotional, that's what kind of opened the door and helped me. It wasn't accept my friend's death. I was far from acceptance, but just be like, okay, to start the process of understanding what was happening, which may have included not understanding it, because how can you, you know, understand black ice in the middle of the road. It's like, it's just a damn thing that happens. But as I'm watching the movie, I'm like relating to this character so much because it's all about this kid who's been beat down his whole life and no one believes in him. And he's, you know, I'm still standing, I'm still strong. And that's the saddest part of this film to me. And there's, you know, there's violence in it against a child. It's PG-13, but and it's, it's done very tastefully. This is all based on a true story, of course, but there is one point when the real Antoine Fisher, as played by Derek Luke, has just, he's literally reached the end of his therapeutic rope, and therapy is not working. His therapist is played by Denzel Washington, and he just arrives in his office, and there's a bunch of patients waiting, and Antoine loses it. You need a healing, you need a healing, and he just starts screaming in this office, And then they get called. He calls them into a back room. And basically this whole confrontation, which is very heated, which breaks every therapeutic line, every military line, you know, you are addressing a superior officer. And it just quite simply ends with Antoine almost whispering, he goes, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Like, what, what, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And that, I mean, Denzel can't even respond to that. Antoine leaves and the look on Denzel's face of like, fuck like I can't oh man it just it all got distilled right down into that like this kid this is my job I'm supposed to help this kid 
figure out tools of what to do. And it's just, oh, it just gutted me. It still guts me to this, to this day. There was so, I saw so much of me in this story, even though we have, there's nothing in my background that is similar to Antoine's, but oh God, it just, it kills me every time. And so that's my number one. And I've definitely referenced this movie a lot on the podcast, but yeah, had it. If we're talking about movies that make us cry, Antoine Fisher's number one. And and I want to talk about this too because I watched it for the first time last night in preparing for this, and because this is a movie that you have talked about so much, so yeah. this was the perfect time. And again, like one of the things that we always talk about on what are you watching is like when you know a certain thing about a movie that's in relation to somebody that you know, you take that movie on a little bit differently. You're you're yep. seeing it through a different lens, and and that's exactly what happens. So I. Really, really enjoyed this movie because I felt like you were right next to me and the moments that were hitting, I could almost understand what those were for you yeah. as a, you know, as an, as, as an empathetic person. I also thought that this movie did a really cool thing that I've never actually seen done when it comes to therapy. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's so many different movies that have that dynamic of the the patient and the therapist and what that is. And this is kind of a sped up process because it's a movie, but I thought that the way that those scenes broke down were some of the best expressions of what therapy can do for somebody. Antoine Fisher is coming into every single one of these sessions at a peak breaking point in terms of his anger. Yeah, but and he's very defiant. And what we get, and this usually takes a very long time in the process of therapy, mm-hmm. is that it takes a lot to uncover what that is, what that moment is. Like, okay, what is this moment of anger stemming to? And then as the movie goes, we're seeing like, you know, okay, it's this scene, this scene, this, these are the moments. As these moments become revealed and he starts accepting them and he starts the process of forgiving them and... You can see how his life starts to get a little bit better. It's really an allegory, I thought, for what the process of therapy really is and how it is such a useful and vital tool for so many people. I really appreciated that because I had never seen anything done quite as good as that. Yeah, I mean, we've seen therapy in movies before, Ordinary People, Goodwill Hunting, which is borrowing very heavily from Ordinary People, but this is the best I've seen it done. And I was at the age where I realized, you know, because of this movie that maybe I should be talking to someone too. So first time I went to therapy was because of this movie and just mm-hmm. starting that process. And that that's kind of what is so interesting about the movie is that it's, you know, he goes in there for fighting. He has to, and he's just mandatory three sessions and like you're not getting shit done in three yeah sessions you're not getting therapy. yeah exactly not with his baggage like not at all because yeah. in three sessions you're going to be like why did that fight start well he called me a name and then you could talk about that for three sessions like you're not yeah. getting to what triggers those are setting off and that all comes about he's like three yep. sessions that's correct can't be change in regulation no that's correct then what do i do because i don't know what to do uh, yep we got to move on because we're we do we do because we could talk again, about it forever. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My next one, I'm gonna go. These are kind of a, a little rapid fire, but Brokeback Mountain. The oh, very that's, end. That's on mine. Jack, I swear. Is it? I mean, just episode 28. We talked about that in depth. Heath Ledger podcast. Jack, I swear is uh, it, it's just it's a thing of stunning, stunning 
simplicity and beauty because of that simplicity. Yes. And I got to see this movie and I, I saw it in the theater in 2005, but they played it. Oh, it was just a couple months ago. And I remember texting you because they're showing stuff now in like these 4k restorations. And I was like, it, this it's stunning. This is a 10 out of 10, a plus masterpiece movie. It's certainly one of my 10 favorite of this century so far. And just like this ending is a perfect reason why. <laughs> Just because of that ending moment. There's so many great crying moments throughout the movie. Oh, I mean, I wish I knew how to quit you is uh, yeah. that's like what gets it going. That kind of gets it, gets the tears, you know. <laughs> and then by the time you get to Jack, I swear you're like, Jesus, man. It's it's sometimes it's it's the sense of urgency, like that and the, and that and that's closed off that that will get me. But yeah, that end scene when he's holding the jacket, I mean, come on now. I mean that is pure cinema in that way. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yep. Number one, I've talked about a lot in episode five and moreover in episode 45 when we completely broke down Steve McQueen's shame. It's just that final montage and he's checking the voicemail and you hear, we're not bad people. We just come from a bad place. Mm -hmm. And where that montage ends, I, you know, I understand everything that's going on. But when it ends on what looks like his skeletal remains of a face, and he's just thinking this complete horror, having completed his binge. I was just sobbing the first time I saw that, getting very odd looks from the two people I was seeing the movie <laughs> with because they're like, what is wrong with you? Are you okay? And I always feel that emotion. The music has a lot to do with that. You know, there's no natural sound by the time the sequence ends. So, yeah, I can't. I can't do a list like this without mentioning shame, of course. Of course. I, I was waiting for one that was going to happen. <laughs> Thank you. What's one from you? <laughs> so, I mean, the, I, the, the two biggest ones that I have are basically referenced throughout so many episodes of our pod, but I think they're most talked about in episode one with our top 10 favorite movies. I th The first one is Inception. Really? They're, cool. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I could watch one movie and cry at a certain moment, let's say. And then if I watch that movie again, maybe I don't cry in that moment anymore. That's fair. Yes, yes, You yes. know, sometimes it just hits you right there. But these are movies that will, no matter what, I will always lose it. So for me, the biggest moment in Inception is at the very end when they're in like the the fourth layer, Leo is talking with Marianne Cotillard and... He's accepting that he needs to let her go. Right. That's just because like I was in a situation where I was hung up on a relationship that I couldn't let go. Like I just couldn't. And watching Leo do that gave me permission to start letting go. So, yeah, if anyone listening to this pod thinks that that's like weird, then you might be listening to the wrong pod. Cause these, yeah, because I mean, we're going to get just, there. Yeah, this is yeah. like, this is us. We're getting as real as it is. Like, I have movies have made me help me realize so many pivotal things in my life. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah this was huge. And now, every time I rewatch this movie, I'll cry at that scene, but it's not so much because I'm having like, that raw wound open because it's not anymore. Mm -hmm. But I'm reminded that I know that I've lived a certain experience and I get to take that with me now. So in a weird way, it becomes almost like a happy cry now because yeah, I've grown from it and I can, I can appreciate that level of emotion and that feeling and what that is. So I'm sort of just kind of 
reminding myself that I've lived life Mm -hmm. and there's like an appreciation for that in a weird way and still be sad about it because that's the movie moment. Right. I love that, but I will never forget that moment in the theater when that was happening the first time and just losing it, just completely losing it. I definitely got welled up during one scene the first time I saw Inception and that was that shot of (laughs) Jesus Joseph Gordon-Levitt just in that hallway, and it's spinning, and he's crawling on it. And I thought that was such pure cinema. Yeah. And the music is boom. And I was like, oh, my God, I've never seen something like this. And I knew it wasn't a visual effect. I could tell they were doing it in camera. And I I just got such chills that I wanted to, like, cry almost. And that is – this is not the only time Christopher Nolan's going to be talked about on this podcast for this exact reason. Exactly. And then the other one, I mean, anyone who knows us knows that I'm going to talk about Terminator 2. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Thumbs up, baby. Thumbs up. Yep, the thumbs up. And, and it's just because, like, I didn't have a father figure growing up when I was a kid at that age. So watching somebody come in for Edward Furlong's character to fill that role so heroically, because that's what the movie is, and then also having a badass mom... I've realized that this is a theme when something is leaving that you don't want to have go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's just something that we all have. If you love something or you don't have something and then you get it and then you have to say goodbye to it, it's just so rough. That is a movie that no matter what, I will watch that straight through and and I'll get excited to do it. I'll actually get excited to start to cry. Oh, yeah. Because I know it's coming. And then I'm like, oh, man, here it comes and the thumbs up. And I'm like, fucking amen. Oh, it's just, uh, yes, it's such a great moment and a perfect lead into mine because that's your your good dad cry and my good mom cry that I've referenced a lot on the podcast is Phantom Thread, directed oh, by Paul yep. Thomas Anderson, yep, yep. never cursed by Johnny Greenwood, you know, when he's laid out on that bed and he has that vision of his mother and just whispers, are you here? Are you always here? That... Oh, my God. The first time I saw that, because my mom died in August 2017, so I saw this in December, and I didn't even – I hadn't really even cried about it because it was just so raw. Like, I, I was processing everything, but the tears hadn't come, and this was – wow, they just opened. And I don't think – I don't want to be presumptuous, but I don't know if a lot of people watching that movie for the first time – got all the mother stuff in it but because of where I was at in my life that's all I was hearing and that's that's why I connected with that movie so much that this is just this is a guy this is a boy whose mom yep. died entirely too young and he's never gotten over it and now he just treats all the women you know around him like crap he belittles him in their own way except his sister who he appears to be emotionally afraid of cuz she's yeah, the only yeah. one who sticks up to him so Antoine Fisher broke back Shame, Phantom Thread. Even if my list ended right there, I'd be like, okay, that's a good list that represents my sad cry. But thankfully, I have a lot more to go because I'm just a big crybaby. <laughs> and and the last one that I'll reference that, that we don't need to talk about too much is because we just did an entire episode. It was our actually Ooh. our two episodes ago where we talked about my favorite movie of all time, Blow. Yes. and But if I just want to list the one, it, it's got to be the phone call to Ray. At the end. Oh, yeah. yeah. For me, at least right now when I rewatched it, that was the moment that meant the most to me and will always, always get a good cry from that one. God, so good. Yeah, we did just talk all about that. So please go check out that episode. But okay, now we're going to get into some. I've referenced these maybe occasionally along the way, but these are 
These are movies that just get real down and sad and make me cry every single time I watch them. I'm going to kick it off here. 1991, John Singleton's Boys in the Hood. This is a seminal movie for me. I, I mean, one of the most important movies I've ever seen. I love... In college, I was the guy who was showing this to a lot of people for the first time. You come to my room, I'd show it to you, and I was kind of like opening up people's worlds the way my world was opened up because I grew up in a very, very small town and seeing this, it just taught me so much at a young age. And the best thing it taught me was perspective. And I'm not going to say the exact moment that makes me sob because it'll ruin the whole movie, but... There's a scene when Cuba Gooding Jr. screams in an alleyway, and then we cut to slow motion. It is as pure as 1990s American cinema gets, and for all the most horrific reasons. I'll, I'll just never forget the first time I saw this movie. I was so young, and there was, there was just so much reality to it, and that's what made it so fucking sad. And it's a very sad film, but a very poignant one, and it, I will never not sob when I watch this thing. Oh, my God. All right, so I'm just going to get something out of the way because I don't want to talk about these movies for too long, but if we're talking about <laughs> themes that make us cry, I cannot handle anything happening to animals. Ooh, I, yeah, particularly yeah. dogs. So like a movie like Marley and Me, that can go fuck itself. Yeah. I um, am yeah. not. I haven't even seen it because I just don't even want to. But there are a couple movies that, well, one I want to celebrate because it's a fucking great Movie. It might even be for what it is the best movie ever made of his genre. That's Homeward Bound: The Incredible Journey. <laughs> nice. <laughs> hey, we're we're letting it all out today, folks. Oh my because god, I haven't seen that in so long. None of them get hurt, though, right? They're just like what? in peril the whole time, but none of them get hurt, right? Well, at, at the end, uh, the oldest dog um, yeah. falls into a, oh, for lack right. of a better term, uh, inescapable pit. Yeah, yep. and and you've got like the weeping dog cries, and and they basically leave them there, and like and Ugh. and it, you're you're basically having that moment of this dog is dead now, and then he comes back at the very end, so everything's okay. But that movie really is a marvel because you're talking about a movie where you've got the voiceovers going on for all of these animals, but you're watching just live action of just. Two dogs and a cat in the woods with a bunch of other animals. I don't know how they directed that. I don't. Well, I I hope they were treated well. Put it that way. I'm sure they were. I mean, I'm I sure with a movie like that, they had to have been. But I don't know. It was well, the 90s. Well, uh, but then also Bambi. I mean, yeah, and the Land Before Time. All these cartoon <laughs> movies where the mom dies. <laughs> It's like, <laughs> I, no, I can't, I, I can't, I, there's something But are you about, watching these movies like now? Or are you just talking about they made you cry? Like when was the last time you watched Bambi and cried? These are, no, I'm, I'm referencing these ones because I refuse to watch them now. Because oh, okay. This I is, see, I see. I was like, this what is the just fuck a theme are you that, like putting Bambi on? This is the theme that I'm just getting out of the way. Is it took that me six if years for him to watch He Got Game, but he's watching Bambi all the time. I got it, I got it. <laughs> That's it. That that's my that's my animal. Anytime with an animal, there, I mean, I there was lucky that I watched John Wick, and it's because the whole entire movie is the revenge of him. And they did it all right. You didn't see anything, and you just heard one little whimper, and then you were on with it. My brain crosses into a different realm when animals are hurt in a movie. Mm -hmm. I immediately immediately have to go to that's not real. 
They those uh, sounds are manufactured. That dog's really happy. It's it's fine. It's being pet right now. Usually, when you hear a dog cry, it's off screen because it's ADR. And so I have oh. to go to technical because I can't handle it. I and I'm like, that's not blood. That's paint they have on it. Kind of put my head down and go because I'm. I don't talk about this stuff a lot, but you know, I'm an animal rights activist, and I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't eat meat because of this stuff for this reason. Because I just like that's just me. It's all good. But dogs, yeah, I don't fuck around with D- like dogs, dogs. Are so the number if one. a movie, okay. Okay, we talked about this a lot in the Gaspar pod. I'm I'm gonna go okay. get serious for a all reason. Right, if right, we right, see right. if a movie is insistent on showing me and depicting a sexual assault, you better be goddamn doing that for a good reason. And I don't know what that reason is. I'm not here to tell you what that reason is. But you're the filmmaker. Better be for a good reason. And if it's not, then I may not like the movie. And I can oh, I have a lot of movies that come to my head specifically for this reason, where I'm like, what? Uh, okay same thing with animal violence like if i don't get why that's being done it is difficult for me to it can really really take me out of the movie and this uh you know raises a lot of red flags uh, apocalypse now where you're seeing like mm-hmm. a cow be butchered you know there's just yeah, a lot of yep, there's yep. a lot of movies that haven't treated animals that well but yeah it's it's a tough thing but when we're watching like a narrative feature i have to go that's not real that's not real amoros peros in Yurito's first movie, that movie fucking starts with a disclaimer that no animals were harmed in the making of this oh, film. And I'm like, yeah. oh, oh, oh boy, what are we getting into? And it's all about dogfighting, or at least one chapter is oh, all about dogfighting. No, I, I don't think I could handle it. Yeah, I made it like 10 minutes, and I had to stop and do research and find out that all the dogs were just happy the whole time. They were all barking and playing together. They were just covered in like corn syrup or whatever they were using for fake blood and all the sounds were manufactured but it is uh Oof. yeah when, when a movie starts with that disclaimer i was like oh my god what the hell is this gonna be but like i've heard andrea arnold's new movie is a documentary called cow i've heard it's really good but every review i've said is if you're an animal rights lover or animal lover you, you can't see this like this is gonna be devastating so i can't see that in the theater i'll wait till blu-ray when i or streaming when i have some sort of control over it like mute there's something about the personification of maybe it's like an animal quality that's put onto something else mostly this i'm talking about pixar movies Mm -hmm. we're talking about animation so it's not really real but there is this idea because there is one movie this is my number one movie that i cry at the worst and that's wally Ooh, yeah And I can't explain why, because a lot of times I get very, very affected emotionally by existential life feelings. And then if you combine that with these sort of like simplistic animal-like qualities that Wally has, because there's not one scene in Wally that makes me cry. I just break out crying for no reason at various parts. And it, and it's even some ways that he just goes, Eva, and I'll just start losing it. Or he's just like, ro- he's just rolling around his fucking earth garbage crater and I'll just start crying. And, and then it'll go away and then it'll just happen again. So there's something that movie that I have not really quite come to terms with, but I think that's like Pixar's best movie. It's my personal favorite. That and uh, Toy Story 3. Yeah, the Inferno. The Inferno, and and not just the Inferno scene, because I just think that that scene is too much to handle for any child, because you just can't accept death like that, like, and expect a kid. Because what they're doing, they're accepting death. That's, like, the most intense thing that one can do in their life. It's a toy. (laughs) And they put it, 
Ugh. And then the end <laughs> when Sid is moving away. Yeah. And he's leaving behind these things that I think that's another like very, very thematic moment of everyone can kind of relate to saying goodbye to uh, your childhood. Yeah. Toy Story 3 was genius in really and to me in one specific aspect, which is that they waited that long to release it. So now all the people who saw the original 95 are all grown up. And now they have this emotional connection to those toys, to those characters where they don't want to see them accept death. And then the kids are just sitting there like, oh, my God, this is terrifying. So it really it took them like two and a half decades to build up to that scene. And it's really smart. It was really, really well done. That got a lot of people. I don't know anyone that Toy Story 3 doesn't get. That's one of those like universal like, all right, if you're not emotionally affected by either one of those scenes, I don't know, man. Well, I mean, I'm not really. Sorry. I'm just. I, oh, I my God. Well, it's, <laughs> well, that's just because uh, you, you have a thing against animation. See, <laughs> yeah, you will not see any animated movies on this list. It's on this list. Yeah, not not at all. I appreciate that they've been on yours, though. I have because that people have very, very deep rooted connection to animated movies because a lot of people were raised on them. And that wasn't in part of anything else. They were just raised on those movies. I was raised on those movies in part with other really radical shit that I just raised myself on. And that's why my emotional connection, it doesn't necessarily, that's just, it's just me. I'm not hating on anything. I get that a lot of adults really, really like animated movies and that's. That's cool. You just won't. I'm not going to be talking about any of those today. That's all I'm saying. Well, I, I agree. I'm not the biggest animated fan either. That's why Wally really stands above yeah. everything. But what about the opening scene of Up? Yeah, that is so impressively done. That's like, that to me is the gimme. Yeah. The thing yeah. in Toy Story 3 that I've just seen that scene before, not among like toys and not in a PG or G movie, but I've seen the acceptance of death from characters and then it doesn't work out and they're like, oh, oh, that's good. I mean, it's the same <laughs> thing. So I, yeah, I had seen yeah, yeah. so I had seen that a lot. But the thing in up, I've never seen anyone do that before or since. In like a, people done that in animation. There are some like dead serious R-rated animated movies, but not in like a Pixar movie. I just didn't expect that. But then the thing that no one talks about is that, you know, up turns into a very standard kind of animated film after yes. that. those first 10 minutes are breathtaking, but I really don't remember anything after that. And you no, know. I agree. I'm the same way. And I think it's, it's just how well done that those, that opening sequence is. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's a complete life lived. Yeah. They're very, very good at short films. You know, they've won yes. a lot of Oscars for best animated short film. And that's like, a, that's about as perfect a 10-minute animated short film as you get because it could end when it's done, and that's that's good. But, wow, we're getting way off course here, but I like it. Way off Tangent course. City. I didn't know it was going to be Tangent City. I had a feeling we were going to go there. Yeah, well, I'm going to get back to real life and um, talk about a movie that pretty much everyone cries when they see it, and that is Jonathan Demi's Philadelphia from 1993, oh. a movie about Tom Hanks very slowly dying of AIDS. It is, oh, oh boy. You know, there are so many sad scenes in this film, but it's the ending in particular that gets me because so, I, you know, real quick, the whole setup of the movie is that this young lawyer, Andy, played by Tom Hanks, believes he was fired from his hot shit lawyer job because he has AIDS and he thinks the partners are discriminating against him. So he sues them for wrongful termination. So 
these partners are just total monsters. Like Jason Robards is one of them. They use foul language. Like they're, they're not good people. But there's one guy. There's one guy named Bob. And he's played by a guy named Ron Falter. And now Bob is the only law partner who admits on this stand that he thought Andy has had AIDS. And essentially, Bob's the only law partner with a conscience. And oh boy, here it comes. In the very final scene of this movie, when a bunch of people are gathered together in an apartment in fond remembrance, you have to look closely, but Bob is right there. He's talking to Andy's family, his friends, and this is a guy that Andy just sued. But Bob was invited there, despite the fact that Andy just sued him, because he took the moral high ground and admitted on the stand that, yeah, I actually did think this was what it was. I didn't tell that to the other partners, but yeah, I, I'm, I am admitting it. That, to me, is what this community has always been about. Inclusion, acceptance, welcoming. It's just so heartwarming to me that Bob is right there, and they do not focus on him. It, you know, the camera's panning, and you have to catch him. And he's just there with the family. He's speaking pleasantries. Now, <laughs> when I mm. saw that Bob was there, I was like, wow, that got me crying. And then I did a little research, and I realized that that actor, Ron Falter, had AIDS while filming that movie. And he died four months after Philadelphia was released. No. So, yes, Philadelphia is a tearjerker for a lot of, a lot reasons. of reasons. There is so much heart in this film on screen and off. It just, it kills me every time. Tom Hanks walking out of Denzel's office for the first time. He just looks up. He's so fucking lost, stares at the ground. That makes me cry too. That is that is my favorite scene Tom Hanks has ever done. Single favorite scene. Oh my God, I love that. But yeah, Ron Falter, rest in peace. It just, I, I had seen the movie dozens of times before I realized that fact. That not only, wow. you know, he had AIDS when they were filming the movie, and then he died four months after it was released. But uh, Philadelphia, I love this movie. Dude, it, that is, yeah, it, you said it perfectly. That's a tearjerker for so many different reasons. Yeah. But that yeah. story is incredible. Like, it's, Isn't it? It's sad, but, but I mean, just truly, it's that, that's something that I think people should know about that movie. It, it adds another layer to its impact. Yeah, yeah. So I, I referenced this movie uh, back in our 1999 podcast, which was, became my favorite movie of 1999. Yes, and that yes. is A Straight Story, directed Ooh. by David Lynch. And this kind of, I think, in a weird way, piggybacks off of this theme that um, the totality, as I like to say, of a life lived. It, that's definitely a big theme for you. Yeah. 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 I think it's because I just don't have a good relationship with time. Mm -hmm. I am scared by it. I am aging is not something I particularly want to have happen. I suppose it's in the sense of like, where does it all go? When you're there, yep. when you're looking back at your life and you're like, holy shit. So this movie just does all that. And Wally, in a weird way, does. That. I get the same feeling from that movie. Mm -hmm. I think A Straight Story is just so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's really similar to the story I just told about Ron Falter that, you know, Richard Farnsworth knew he was dying of yeah. cancer, of a terminal illness, and he died by suicide uh, shortly after that film was released. And that's also... A very sad thing as well. You know, it adds a real life layer of poignancy to that movie, certainly. Yeah, it really does. There's also something about A League of Their Own that does the exact same thing to me. 
Oh, nice. Yeah. The the whole entire movie takes place with, you know, uh, these women in the 1940s during World War II where they're playing baseball. But yep. the beginning and end of that movie is all of them when they're older coming back to this. They've been accepted into like the Baseball Hall of Fame or something similar to of that effect. And they all haven't seen each other. Some people have died and they go back and they're reliving this like the moment of their lives, like right. all of them collectively. And I just can't handle that. I can't, <laughs> I can't fucking handle that. That's like way too much emotion. Like they're seeing each other. The music, the score by Hans Zimmer just adds to it. But the way that they look at each other, sometimes they don't recognize the other one. Like yeah. they see each other and they're like, oh my God, you look so... Ah, uh-huh. I, I can't. I, I just can't with that. And then like they're like, how is so-and-so? Oh, he passed. Of course he did. Because yeah. we're all going to fucking die. Ah, Should be lucky they made it that long, Bubba. No, yeah, that's a part of it too. You know, that like is that's a part it's of all it. yes. it's it's all wrapped up in the same shit that none of it I'm okay with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a coming. Just not tomorrow. <laughs> no. That's what I always say. Uh, I mean or if okay, here's a nice, a nice little segue into tomorrow. We have to talk about make way for tomorrow. That's the ultimate cry. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ, that's not even on my list. Oh my God, what a great call! Is that on your list? Yes, it is. Oh, thank God. That was a that was a very awkward segue, but you you kind of stuck the landing on it. It took me a while oh, to I get fucking there, but I'm with it, you now, Hoss. That's right. Get on the train. Make Way for Tomorrow is very similar to me in the feeling I get watching Chaplin's City Lights. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of trouble getting into Chaplin and getting into silent films, mostly because people were like, you have to like this. You, you are going to watch Chaplin and you will like him. And that, you know, that's not really the best way to like <laughs> yeah, going to any movie. No. But I can tell you that the entire genre of silent movies clicked wide open for me because of the final scene of City Lights. And it was just, it's something, it is so profoundly simple and so absolutely magical. And that's the same, Make Way for Tomorrow isn't silent, but it is old and black and white. Yes. And it's a really well done movie. But the, I mean, if you watch the whole movie and you're in it, not like on your phone walking around, like you're in it watching it, you, I, I would almost guarantee that any normal human being would cry in the last 10 minutes of this. I don't, or last five minutes. I don't understand how you couldn't. So that's a great call. I can't believe I forgot that. You know, when we're making lists like these, sometimes I'm like, I'm forgetting something. I'm forgetting something. That, wow, yeah. that's just a great, great call. Yeah, I, I knew, like, there's even movies that are like, when you're bringing them up, like, I'm like, oh my God, yes, yes. Building up to this one, I just, I kind of call it like I see it. I explain how I am on the podcast when we're recording. I'm nervous to talk about this scene. I'm just going to put that out there for a few reasons. We've already referenced the movie a few times. Um, all right, okay. <laughs> My least favorite word. I don't hate too many words, but the word, a word that I detest to every fiber of my being is the N-word. If you look like me, which is to say white, I don't want to hear it from you ever in any context. It's just me. I can't really say that I like hearing that word used in movies, especially by white characters. I understand that in something like American History X, those characters in context are speaking accurately. That's how those bastards talk. I get it. I do not have an opinion of black people using this word. I abstain from judgment. They want to use it. Far be it for me to suggest otherwise. 
I just know my place when it comes to that word. So, (laughs) Jesus, with all of that said, I have heard this word used so profoundly and so devastatingly one time that I'm it like I'm getting choked up just thinking about it. Let I mean watching it is like it's just <laughs> I'm done for. Toward the very end of Spike Lee's He Got Game, Denzel Washington and Ray Allen have a spirited confrontation that ends with Denzel using this word in a way I will never never forget. Um, I don't want to exactly say what leads to this moment because I want like every human being alive to watch He Got Game. But Denzel and Ray playing Jake and Jesus Shuttlesworth are an estranged father and son. Ray slash Jesus does not like his father at all. He's angry about it. And Denzel is very aware of this. And right before they part, Denzel looks at his son and he says, take care of yourself. Take care of your sister. But you get that anger out your heart, son, or else you'll end up another like your father. To hear him refer to himself in the most gutting way possible, it just, it's wrenching to me. I, he's so openly admitting that he's turned himself into a stereotype and that if his son leads his life with anger, he will likely become a statistic as well. And it's very important wording. And that's kind of what breaks Jesus a little bit. That's what starts to let a little humanity in. Ray Allen is brilliant in this movie, but you can tell it kind of gets to him. It's, it's a subtle click, but there's something in there that clicks. And his dad does not think he is the be-all, end-all. He thinks of himself as the lowest of the low. He views himself as beyond redemption, but he does not want that for his son. And it's for that reason that this is my favorite scene Spike Lee has ever captured. I watch this sequence so, so often, and this was my movie with my brother if I had to pick one. We watch this together often, so it's a, it's a, a rare, nice memory there, but... People need to go give this movie a chance. I don't know what happened to it. I don't know why. It's like never on streaming. I uh, I love He Got Game so much. The most poetic movie Spike Lee made. Absolutely. Well, I Fuck. feel like sp- all of Spike Lee's movies are hard to find. Unless you're talking about like Black Lantern Inside is usually Man. on Amazon or Inside yeah. Man. Yeah. Do like, the Right it, Thing is always around. Yeah. But for good you, reason, ve- for good reason. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's very hard to find. He got game, 25th hour. It's yep. it's tough to find some of these movies that we've talked about on the pod that we're really trying to encourage people to see. They don't make it easy, though. I mean, Criterion has picked up some of his movies, and I'm just, yeah, yeah. I'm like, this one, ah, it's perfect. I, I did get, I, I got one of the best Christmas presents of my life a few years ago. This is like, uh, Christ, probably 10, 9 years ago at this point. Spike Lee always does commentaries for his movies, but he didn't do one for He Got Game, and it was bare bones. So I had the bare bones DVD, no special features, and then... They released a combo Blu-ray of He Got Game and 25th Hour and Ray Allen and Spike Lee did a commentary for He Got Game. So I put it on. I bought it immediately, put it on that night. I've listened to it like three times. It's great. Shocker. That's awesome. Denzel is probably the person who's being mentioned the most on my list today. We have Antoine Fisher. Yeah, we have Antoine Fisher. We have He Got Game. And I'm going to do a quick one here just because it got a lot of hate, got a lot of flack. The way he ends his confession in flight, 
made in 2012. Um, He finally reveals the truth in front of everyone. The way his voice cracks when he says the word alcoholic, it just, it absolutely kills me. And that that scene got so much odd criticism from critics and audiences. Like, why now? Why not just keep lying? And I'm, I don't know. It's my opinion that if that is your opinion, you kind of miss the film completely. But that's that's okay. I'm not saying it's a perfect movie, but that is a perfect moment to me. Ugh. Okay, I just had a great idea, and this is a complete segue. This is a this is just off the top of my head. Oh boy. Since we'll get back to these movies, but oh, great. do you have any specific, just right off the top of your head, moments of an actor crying that are your favorite moments of watching an actor cry? So you're talking about him in Glory, obviously, probably. Ah, right. That's yeah. exactly yeah. what I was going to say. I mean, yes. no, that's a, a, I would need to, off the top of my head, it's a little tough. I would need to think about it. But him in Glory, like that tier, a lot has been made of that tier. That doesn't just represent an actor trying to win an Oscar, which he did. That no, represents no. an entire fucking movement of captivity and slavery. Yes. And like, oh, That's this is history. what you're going to... Yeah, it's... It's history and it's astounding here. Astounding that they made the time for that in that big, big movie. But um, no, I'm trying to think of like someone reaching reaching that point that that's just uh that's just so well done another reason why that works so well is because he's so defiant he's such a defiant character mm-hmm. and he doesn't put up with shit but like if you're in that much pain and he doesn't even show the pain on his face that's the only representation of it how you do that as a fucking actor i have no idea no like idea how, no I mean, idea it's yeah i mean that gives me chills just talking about it but tom hanks breaking down and saving private ryan when he's hiding re, you know trying to and he starts doing the shaking thing it's after um after the medic has been killed, that's a really good one because that's also because men just quote unquote weren't allowed to cry back in that yeah. day. They weren't allowed to show that level of emotion. You you know stood tough. That that's one that always gets me. I don't know. I'd have to think about it. But yeah, that's a good. That's a great call. I actually <laughs> hold that and I'm saving it for later. Okay, but yes, one one specifically. That's a good call though. What I'm saving for the what are you watching? Uh, there's there. It's one of my favorite acting moments of all time. And I, I'm excited to talk about awesome. that one. And it's a crying moment. Yeah, give me another sad one for you. Uh, 2019's Marriage Story. Ooh. You know, there's so many movies like Kramer versus Kramer always comes to mind. You know, yeah. I, I Marriage Story to me was a movie that really, really affected me. I think it just encapsulated the most of what I knew about my mom and dad's divorce and how that went. Mm-hmm. And I just went on the ride for that movie, but the end scene where Adam Driver is reading the letter. Yeah. I mean, I I honestly think that's a perfect way you did that movie, and it's like the opening of the movie is the voiceover of what the one person thinks of the other one. Yeah. And then to come back at the end, it's just, it's a nice little button, but. Well, it's a lesson in like divorce therapy or separation therapy. Yes. Write down everything you like about the other person, read it to them. Yeah. It's a very common tactic. And I love when a director is able or screenwriter or whoever you want to credit to can bring their movie full circle like that. When it like yep. starts the way it ends. Very cool. Very cool. You know, this whole entire movie is this is like a chapter in these people's lives. Like they've had kids, like they've spent years, their youth together to know that it wasn't for nothing. Yeah. I've always believed that nothing is a waste, no matter what. There's always something to learn or gain from however you spend chapters of your life. But to get that confirmation, to get that understanding that you might feel how you feel, but you don't know if the other person 
felt the same way. I think there's a part of me that always sort of wonders if the people or times or moments that I've spent with matter to the other ones as much as they matter to me. And I'll never know, but I know how much they mean to me. So I think just hearing that echoes like for me, like when he starts to cry, I started to cry with him because I was like, oh, my God, that's just fucking beautiful. Like he there, there's validation in the life that you've lived up until this point. Mm -hmm. That was a huge part of getting older for me, honestly, was realizing that some things I had shared with people, with friends in my life that I mean, I felt like they would turn me into the person I was because they were so memorable and so pleasant. And the person just a few years later, I had no fucking clue what I was talking about and See, didn't remember at all. That's like, happened to me. Um, I, I it, You know, we yeah. get real on this podcast, but I'm not going to get to that real, folks. But that's happened to me a um, <laughs> a number of times. All and, part of growing up. Well, yeah. and, and rightfully so, because you're, you're yeah. like, all right, if this didn't mean anything, then... Mm -hmm. Well, fuck me, I guess. Uh, but if they don't, then what do you have? You, you yeah, know? you want to talk about my favorite color? I mean, what are we doing? Yeah, here? exactly. Like, exactly. That, to exactly. me, that's what the friendship has been founded on, were uh -huh. these great events and this great memory. I mean, if you just want to get together and like talk about the weather and like what's on the menu, then we can do that. And like what movie we saw yesterday, cool. But Is there a water yeah. cooler around? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man i like that we're keeping it somewhat light uh because i'm about to talk about a horrific murder um this is i've only seen this movie once so i can't even say movie that this is one that makes me cry over and over this is this is another list we've been circling for a long time movies great movies we've only seen once you know, oh. I used to have like uh, Irreversible on my list, Antichrist. Those are, I've now rewatched those a few times. One that I've only seen once is Ryan Coogler's first film, Fruitvale Station oh, in 2013. God, yeah. um, this is so embarrassing for me to admit. I wrote this in my, in my initial review, but I, um, I didn't know this movie was based on a true story. I hadn't, uh, I knew the story of Oscar Grant being murdered by a police officer in Oakland in 2009. But when I walked into Fruitvale Station, I didn't know that's the movie I was watching. And I didn't, I, the name, I didn't know the name Oscar Grant like I do now. So if you've seen this movie, this movie begins with the cell phone footage of Oscar Grant being shot, uh, the real cell phone footage. Uh -huh. And I was like, did the director just make a choice to show it like that? Or is that like a real video. So the whole time I'm watching the movie, I get where this is going. I'm like, oh God, the movie's eventually going to land at that video. And then, oh man, uh, when the movie ends with the dedication and they're showing, they're confirming that this was indeed, indeed a real person and you're seeing, you know, his girlfriend, his child, his mom. And I, that's when it clicked during the dedication that, holy fuck, the first scene I watched in this movie was that poor boy being killed. That's and then I just lost it. I mean, for whatever reason, I, I don't know why I remember this, but I saw this movie the last day before I left to move for Los Angeles. I, I don't know. It's just something that sticks out of my head. But oh, the theater awesome. was like kind of full. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a big one to go on to California. Yeah, I was going to say that's like I was <laughs> yeah, going to say Jesus. terrible, but it's not a terrible movie. Yeah, but it's yeah, a it's, it's a rough way to leave. When it ended, I've never seen this before. Uh, I've never had this experience before or since. There was a a woman in the crowd, a black woman, an older black woman who was sitting by herself. And when the dedication happened, she just started 
she started sobbing in a way that, oh man, I'm getting, oh, it's getting me, that I, I really haven't heard too much in my life. I've, I've heard it when parents were sobbing over the death of their child. That's how mm. loud she was crying. Mm. And um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and a black dude that she like didn't, I assume, did not know at all who was sitting in a completely different spot in the theater, walked up to her, sat next to her and like hugged her and consoled her. Oh. And it's like, I'll never fucking forget that moment. I didn't, I didn't expect to tear up over that, but it was so, oh my God. It was so emotional. And we just like, that's one. It's so funny because our one of our upcoming podcasts, we're talking about uh, three movies in particular that we're seeing in the theater for the first time, and it's really, really cool. And in, in one of those, in the first one, when the credits came up, no one moved. And I, I've said that before, and I have that in my memory, and then I'm like, did that really happen? Like, did no one really move? And it, it was confirmed for me yesterday, and I was like, no one moved good. This was another one that I know for a fact no one moved during the credits. The fucking lights had to, like, come up, and then we – I saw it at, like, noon, and they had to practically carry us out of there. Like, it was – oh, man. I'm going to go watch this movie again. I Honestly, just talking about it makes me realize how important it is to me. I didn't expect to have that emotional reaction. It was uh, It was real. It was fucking real in that movie theater that day. Yeah, because that's where it transcends. Like that's yeah. that's when life. I I can think of a handful of times in my life where I've heard a human being sob, something like that. Like to the point where like it's not a cry. It it, it is a visceral, primal, yeah, guttural. And I think people that are witness to that, it, you know, you you almost kind of can't can't help but be a fellow human being. Yeah. Like there are three times that I can really specifically remember hearing something like that happen. And I was there for all of them. Like I didn't leave. I, I, I stayed or I comforted or I consoled or I did whatever I could. I think at the end of the day, I was present for it. You mean in a movie theater or in real life? No, no, just in real life. Yeah, like, you did that for me the day my brother died. I was mm -hmm. sobbing in my apartment, August 1st, 2016. We had like, when something like that happens to you, you don't, well, I can't say you. I like I found out at 6:14 a.m. in the morning and I'm not crying right away. I'm in just complete fucking shock and I call a few people close to me like you and you came over like you left work early and you came over and we went to the fucking gym cuz yep. it's like we just like <laughs> didn't know what to do. I mean, that's just like what we did. I got I had been desperately looking for a job for 8 months fucking hr manager from a job i had interviewed at like four times calls me on the way to the gym offers me a job i'm like what the fuck is going on what is today <laughs> and then when we got back in my apartment after the gym is when i f broke down and you did what very very few i'll just say it men are unable to do and that's that you just fucking stayed mm -hmm. and you were still and you let it be known that you were there and it's all good here we are a yep. lot, I mean, I've had people literally run away from me when mm. emotion gets started. I've had people tell me that we can talk about a subject so long as I don't get emotional talking about it. I've had actual friends say this stuff to me. We're not friends anymore, but that's okay. I mean, I don't even know what I would say. Like, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry, but oh yes, Fruitvale Station, all the way of saying, wow. It's funny, I only had one little small note for that movie. I didn't think we were going to talk about it long. It's really interesting. This, folks, is what it is like to sit with Nick and I in a room as we talk oh, about yeah. movies. This, this is, is very like, true. 
the pod like kind of isn't even here for me. Like we're just we're just talking. This is yep. great. This, this is, is great. this is what it really is like. Um, yeah. Well, there's one movie I do want to talk about that means a lot to me, but be, I don't want to double down on such an impactful conversation. So I want to switch gears a tiny bit and talk about the number one movie that makes me happy cry more than any other movie. Oh, okay. And this is crazy. This is a movie that I talk about ad nauseum, but I've never talked about it this way. And I never realized it until like the last couple times. I cry in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood every time. And it's at different parts. Oh, okay. Because that means you have a deeply, that's so fucking funny you said that because I'm about to talk about a 2019 movie that I have waterworks on the entire time I watch it. That's because you're connected to that fucker. That's why. Yeah. Because there's nothing sad at all about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But- I'll watch that movie and just be overcome with how much love I have for it, Mm -hmm. that I'm so appreciative that it exists and that it's mine. I get to have this relationship with this movie that I cry. I just start crying. And it's usually in like the really joyful moments. It's usually like I cried in the opening sequence of... um, of when the Treater Right song is playing. Yeah. And and I'm just watching it. I go, I'm just so fucking happy right now. I know. And so, yes. Yeah, so that that is a movie that I don't think I have that type of relationship with any other movie because I love it so much. Mine in 2019 is Waves, directed oh, by Trey yeah, Edward yeah, Schultz. Yeah. That is my movie that is like... No movie since has feels like it is infused into my DNA. And I, I just, God, I would just love to dream, dare to dream to make something one-tenth that impactful to <laughs> the way that movie impacted me. I mean, I cried four times when I saw it in the theater, and I was not in a bad place. Like, everything was good. I was, it was fine. I saw it at 11.15 in the morning. <laughs> Fucking sit there. Like, what is going on? I, at one point, I don't know, I've talked about Waves before in the pod, but at one point, I remember very distinctly looking over and there was a guy like three seats down from me and we locked eyes this and this was during the end true love waits montage and he was crying too and and we were just both crying we kind of nodded at each other like this movie's incredible but that's one where every time i watch it i'm i know i'm going to cry at some point and it can be a sad cry cuz moving gets sad but it can also be like that that melancholic cry because the final sequence of it with radiohead playing is like it moves me so much. But I mean, Frank Ocean's playing throughout this. Tame and Paula. I just, oh God. It's a great fucking, fucking soundtrack. Yeah. And I had written some of those songs into yep. my next screenplay idea. You got to understand though, when I write stuff into screenplays, I know I can't get these songs. Not if I'm going to shoot it with my budget. It's just something that like is propelling the writing. Like, it's that, it's that, you know, got to be above it. Got to be above it. It's like, I put that in my fucking script and then I sit down and I put on waves or I watch it, the theater, 11.15 in the morning, gotta be above it, gotta be above it. I'm like, what the fuck? Oh my, and I wasn't even mad. I just went, oh, no, this, yeah. is, this is like someone read my screenplay ideas and they actually had the money to go get this shit. So they did. And they put it on film in a really fucking cool way, like better than I could have. Frank Ocean is one of my all-time favorite musical artists, and he has never been used so well as he is in this movie. I mean, oh my God. Now I'm going to have to go watch this fucking thing when we're done. Because <laughs> I can't. I love that movie just because it is like, the thing is though, is I, you can absolutely make something that good. Well, I've just I, never, like, I remember <laughs> like when I watched it, I was like, 
did you just get a bunch of money and go under a different name as to direct this movie? Because everything was, about that movie is you. And it was within a month. I had like five different people who don't even know each other text me that. And it, yep. it was, I, I'm not folks. Come on. You know, I'm not yeah. like saying my work is anywhere near. No, I, my no, work. No, no. I, I aspire to waves. I mean, you know, I aspire to a lot of things, but I aspire to make something that moves someone the way that movie moved me. I suppose that's the bottom line. That's what that I'm, is. That's man. It. Yeah, I'll never. I don't know what he's working on now. I need to do a little deep dive. I haven't heard any rumblings of Mr. Schultz making another film, but I I believe one is coming, and I I will be there. I will be there. <laughs> it won't be there. Oh, there we go. This is just a quick moment of that. Um, of <laughs> yes, Daniel Day Lewis. Oh. One of my favorite moments that I cry in every time is at the end of In the Name of the Father. Oh my god, that's a that's not on my list. That's a fucking great one. It definitely that that could be on my list cuz it does make me cry. Now there's a lot of spaces in this movie where it one would cry, but it's the end and I'm going to spoil it. We talk about this on our Daniel Day-Lewis episode too. We go through this whole entire journey to finally come to the outcome that he is being released from prison and the earned moment of him and what he's gone through and to be released. It's a happy cry in a lot of ways because you just feel justice, mm-hmm. even though it was wrong in the first place. But the fact that it's over, the relief I can finally breathe. I can finally be done with this. And he's stepping over the uh, the pews and the stands and everything like that, just like getting out. It, it's just... Um, well, then he's got the killer line, the hammer line. It's not safe, Jerry. It's not safe. I'm a free man. I'm walking out the front door. I mean, yes, like it's just the way he says it. Like, I'm going... And you could tell it's ADR. I don't give a shit. I mean, he's like, it I'm doesn't matter, going yeah. out there. I'm not going yep. in the back room to be processed. I'm free. I'm gone. Yep. And... It it brings me. I'm getting chills right now, and yeah, uh, yeah I will always give a little tear for that because it's just like it's it's right, it's righteous, mm-hmm. and that's that's a great feeling to be able to connect with that can bring you to tears. Well said. I have so my number one happy cry because now we've shifted into happies, and I've talked about these a few times, so I'm going to get my previously discussed ones out of the way. Because in episode 14, favorite film scores, I talked a lot about E.T. directed by Steven Spielberg. I mean, the mute it is okay, great. I mean, and I want to say a very specific thing about this Top Gun Maverick and IMAX was awesome. Nope, and IMAX was really cool and made that movie even better. My favorite IMAX experience of 2022 so far is seeing E.T. last week, which I got to. Theaters around me are only only did it for a week, which kind of sucked. I was like out of the country for I, <laughs> five of those days. So I had to like rush back and go to it right away. But I mean, I cry. I, if, I, if I watch this on my phone, I'm going to cry. But just seeing like the number one moment is when they take off in that street and the triple jump cut into E.T.'s face. Dun, 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 and then it just boom, soars over. I love it so much. This could be like, we talk about, we haven't done best versus favorites in a while. Let's do mm. Spielberg now. Give me your best, give me what you think is best is and then your favorite. Because like, oh, I mean, Schindler's List, like Saving Private Ryan, like Jaws, like those are, are, are his best. Like, let's go yeah, with the objective yeah, best. I guess yeah. I want to, but like, 
so like serious and yeah, I mean, I get it. I get it. And Jaws is just, I, I get it. I do. But like Tarantino just started a podcast with Roger Avery, which everyone should listen to called Video Archives. It's fucking incredible. And he admitted on that, that his favorite Spielberg is Temple of Doom, the second Indiana Jones. He's the like that, second which is, one. That's the movie they had to create the PG-13 rating for because it's so fucking gruesome. And like, I've always liked that one too. But to hear him say, too. he's like, because the, someone says, you know, what's, what do you think the best Spielberg movies? He's like, I don't fucking know. Who knows what the best of anything is? But he goes, my favorite is Temple of Doom. So all by long way of saying, I think my favorite Spielberg movie is E.T. I think, I don't know if it's his best. I don't know. Maybe, but I do think it's my favorite. I fucking love I, this movie. It's Yeah, it's really hard to say with that director in particular if you want to really nail down best because, I mean, his catalog is so vast. And I do think the Normandy scene in Saving Private Ryan is one of the best sequences ever put to film. Yes, very true. That's probably the best sequence he ever captured. I also, yeah. whenever someone, if ever I can get it, in there and just kind of wheeze my way in. I will say the the liquidation of the ghetto in Sh- in Schindler's List and is sh- yeah. It doesn't get talked about as much, but it is the the end of that sequence ends with him seeing the girl in the red coat. But that that thing is fucking horrific. Like it is brutal and it doesn't get talked about a lot. But it is no wow wow. But yes yes of course Normandy yes yes for sure. But I I've always said my favorite Spielberg and it's never changed since I saw it is catch me if you can. You have said that. Yeah. See, yeah. And it's like, that's his Howard Hawks movie. It's, you know, just the boppiness it has. That's like his 1940s, 50s throwback to me, to me anyway. And I love it for that reason. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. I'm going to mention this one real fast because I've already talked about it on this podcast, but my happy Antoine Fisher moment is it's just a very simple welcome toward the end of the movie. That's all I'll say. I really want people to see this, but when Antoine is welcomed by someone. Oh, it's beautiful. God, it's absolutely beautiful. Hands on the cheeks. Oh, it's great. And then I have one more happy cry. It's, it's a very odd happy cry, but I talked about this in episode two, top 10 of the 2010s. There you go. The brother dynamic in Gavin O'Connor's Warrior. Like I have talked about it, but it is it's the number one movie that like really helped me break through what I needed help breaking through in terms of my relationship to him. The way Nick Nolte's watching the whole thing with complete understanding. It scored to an extended version of About Today by The National. Like that's something that I have put on the last, you know, 20 minutes of that movie just for a good cry, like for a good trigger, and it'll always take me there. So, uh, Warrior, God, I really, really love that movie. It's a fucking fantastic movie. That that almost that almost made my list. Oh, great, great! All right, give me number one, another one of your happies. Oh man, this has got to be one of my number one happies. 1993's Rudy. What the fuck? That's my next one. <laughs> yeah, baby. I've been theming by Ooh. it. Da, da, da. That is it. Who's the wild man now? Oh my <laughs> Who's god, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, you get you get the music, you get the chant, yep. you get you get he gets the sack. Who's the wild man now? You get the dad, you know, and when Ned Beatty smacks the dude, he's smacking the real. Rudy, just a little trivia there. Yep, yep. The kicker though is the Charles S. Dutton fist punch when he walks away, clapping. He does that punch Ugh. in the air. That's the kicker. That's the fucking best. That's not. That's it, pure cinema right there because you can put that in a novel. But like 
Rudy looks over his shoulder and sees him walking away, raising a fist in the air. Nah, you got, you need that pure cinema moment, that acting, that music. Fuck yeah, I'm so, that's awesome that you mentioned it. And it was next. I think there's <laughs> something too about the, um, like, so when we're reaching the end of that movie, right before they put him in, right? Yeah. You hear the football players, like, like they start talking to each other, like, hey, we got to get, we got to score right now because otherwise Rudy can't play. Mm-hmm. You're hearing dialogue, but what I notice about the sound of that particular scene is that the crowd everything's really elevated yeah and then when he gets put in like even when they say okay get out there that's when the crowd erupts yeah and that's that's the feeling that you're living in exactly and that change you're talking about you see that all play out on vince vaughn's face because vince yes. vaughn doesn't like him yep. they fought they 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 do not get along and he's looking around because it's it's their last game it's vince vaughn's yep. last game it's rudy's last game and that's when he goes, you know, hell with the vine. We got to do it for Rudy. And they like yep. throw the throw that magic touchdown. And yeah, it's just, it's great. And then, yes, when he rushes the field and does the crowd. Oh. Uh, another happy cry from me. Again, calling it like I see it. It's the end of Jerry Maguire, directed by Cameron ah. Crowe. And it's not You Complete Me. I mean, that's it's so well done. But it's Cuba Gooding Jr. as Rod Tidwell receiving good news on a talk show. And he's like, I'm not going to cry. And then... The guy breaks him because he gives him really good news. And then he, you know, he goes into this <laughs> to this long speech of thanks. And he ends that by thanking, he goes, you know, to Jerry Maguire, my agent. I just love those two guys having this moment. I, oh man, it, it really, really gets me every time. Another, some of my happy ones are deeply melancholic because they're in deeply, uh, sad movies like Babel, for instance, <laughs> directed by <laughs> Inuritu here. Wow, this thing really does get me. But there, Brad Pitt silently says thank you to a very selfless man toward the end of this movie, a man who has really gone out of his way to help Brad Pitt. It's just, it's a really quick moment, but to me, it's so breathtaking. It's a breathtaking way to end a devastating film. And it's not even the very end of the movie. But yeah, that thing, that's always stayed with me as well. Well, this this isn't a happy one, but this is just a pure moment in a movie. That always makes me cry. Uh huh. Looper by Ryan Johnson. Oh, really? What part? So I don't know what it is about Emily Blunt in that movie, but I, that's my favorite performance of hers. And it's a weird <laughs> movie to give that credit to because she's so good. But it's the scene where the kids just going ape shit at the end and basically destroying everything. And her face takes the whole entire screen. And it's just a mother to her son. And she just says in like the most like simplest, like motherly way with tears on her face, like it's okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it is, but every time that happens, I lose it. Wow. That just connects to that, that motherly son dynamic that, oh, every time. Oof, I'm getting to think about it right now. Oh, I love it. We haven't talked about. TV, I don't believe at all anymore, which is the way I like it. I like to stick with movies. Yeah, I mean, but I can. Um, I'm going to mention something here. I've won TV again, a very melancholic, happy cry, but I'm mentioning it for a very specific reason. Um, this is season five, episode nine of The Wire, called Late Editions. It is the series penultimate episode in this sequence. Oh boy, Bubbles, played by Andre Royo, he um he gives a speech at a meeting in which he is finally beginning to accept his place in this whole chaotic world. And 
he begins to let go of the shame he's carrying. And he says, you know, there ain't no shame in holding on to grief just so long as you make room for other things too. And I actually said that quote in my mom's eulogy. Mm. So it's something that will, you know, always get me. And I've, I have loved that scene forever, but it felt also appropriate in the context of her eulogy. Yeah. Well, I don't follow that. I don't know about that one. (laughs) Okay, I'll do one more happy one. And then my final kind of in general happy one is I think the conclusion to Ad Astra by James Gray was Uh... it really knocked the wind out of me because that entire film tricked me into thinking I was on some wild space journey. And then the last scene proved to me that that is not what that movie was about. And I did not expect that and just someone kind of realizing something about themselves is hard to put on screen without a lot of dialogue and this does it very very well and i think i don't know i i'm you know brad pitt won an oscar this year for once upon a time in hollywood and that's great i just felt like ad astra was like a little overlooked maybe maybe people didn't really connect to that i don't know i had a profound emotional connection to that movie and still do still do i don't know I, I think that movie, it, that's because I didn't have that connection with it, but yeah. a lot of people did. What it was going for, it absolutely achieved. Yeah. Like, because you can't, because you're not the only one that talks like that. There's a lot of people that have that connection to it. Yeah. The people who like, I don't know, it seemed to be searching for its right audience and we're we're out there, like we connected yeah. to it, but I just don't know how how big we are. I mean, that's true of like every James Gray movie. He has his Mm -hmm. diehard loyal fans and I don't even love every one of his movies. This is by far my favorite, but you know, he's got a big one coming out the end of this year. Apparently that's supposed to be a real Oscar contender. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited for what the end of this year is going to bring. There's some, yeah, I am too. There's some good stuff I think going to come out. Fucking better. I I think there's the round out my happy ones. I, you just got to put it in. It's feel the dreams. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, the catch thing. When you keep things simple, mm-hmm. and it's just like that simple idea of like, Dad, you just want to play catch? Uh, yeah, that's it. It's just it's it's just in there. Oh, that was a lot of fun. We got some sad stuff, some happy stuff. Before we move on into our like deeply subjective, pure cinema moments that may very well only connect with us. Yes, true. I have as I was coming up with my happy list, I um found that I had like a bunch in common that all fit the same theme. So I'm going to burn through these. I made a top five list of parents being proud or happy for their child. Ah. This is a huge trigger point for me. I don't know. It's just something that always gets me. So I put, I ranked them five. Okay. So number five, somewhere, Steven Dorff watching Elle Fanning ice skating. It's like kind of breaking him in, like get, get off your phone, buddy. And like, watch your daughter. Ugh. Searching for Bobby Fisher, number four. Oh. Joe Montana sticking up for his son to his teacher, Laura Linney. You know, he is better at this than I have ever been at anything in my entire life. Like, that is, that is a great speech of a parent sticking up for their child. Number three, October Sky. This is when Chris Cooper shows up at the end and Jake Gyllenhaal stumbles on the word, my dad. Oh, my God. It's just so great. Number two, kind of an outsider for me. Temple Grandin, which is an HBO film about, yeah, starring Claire Danes. And it's when Claire Danes, who's playing a real-life autism advocate, Temple Grandin, she admits in public how 
good of a job her mother did raising her. And her mom, Julia Ormond, is right there and she just barely keeps it together. And it's it's like the final scene of that movie. And it just, oh, that, that's my number two. Like, gets me every time. And then number one is a 10-second sequence of Paul Reiser staring at his son, Miles Teller, as he gives the performance of his life on stage in Whiplash. Mm. That fucking cutaway to Riser in the doors, just watching it, and you see his face change, and he's like, it's like he finally gets it. Like, no, this guy doesn't play football. No, he's a drummer. Here it is. Look at it. Uh, just really wanted to burn through those quick of like, you know, happy, proud parents. It's, I don't know, it's a specific thing that always tends to get me. No, that's great. I I get like that in somewhere. Yeah, I remember when we talked moment. about it. Yeah, yeah. Yep, that's just such a beautiful moment. All right, so crying, getting emotional because everything in a movie just works. And, you know, <laughs> I call this pure cinema. I basically define pure cinema as something that really can't be replicated anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Like you can describe in a book a sequence, but if you're not hearing the music at the same time, they want you to, and if the camera isn't moving in that exact way and their performance isn't, you know, you can get, I get a lot of emotion. I can cry from a lot of music, but there's something about pure cinema moment that's just different and it can only be captured to me on film. That's not every single moment I'm about to describe here, but a number of them. And it's basically just like inspiring scenes that inspire yes. us for any reason. Like who knows what that may be. So why don't you get us kicked off here? Cause I have no, I'm so curious as to what you're going to mention. I have no idea. So I love them starting with this because this is the first movie that I ever truly cried in. Oh, okay. Because of the movie. Because I'm sure as like a kid, I probably cried during some movies because I got upset or whatever, mm-hmm. like when you're a kid. But this was the first time that I was watching a movie where the movie brought me to tears. And this is 1995's Braveheart. Oh, okay. Like the it, end? The end. It's the freedom. Oh, yeah. There's something about everything about that scene that had it going. You had... Well, number one, the horrible torture that was going on to him. So you're already in a particular place where uh, that's very unsettling. And then you've got the sounds of the crowd. Some of them are telling him to die. Some of them are telling him just to say it, like, give it up. Like, you know, you can. And then you've got that the guy who's so creepy. He's like, just say it. Just say yeah. the word. It can all go away. Ugh. And then, you know, Mel being the fucking actor that he is <laughs> and just yells freedom. Oh my God, man. And then the, the James Horner score just crescendos with that. I think in terms of that pure cinema, I got moved to tears because of everything the movie had led to up until that point. And then right. that big culmination of that moment. Yeah. Most of the moments I'm talking about are toward the end of the movie. And that's because yeah. the movie has to build to that moment. It's Not all of them, but it. a lot of them. Yeah. Exa- well yeah. said. You have to earn that moment. Um, my first one. <laughs> when you watch Igmar Bergman's Cries and Whispers, you don't. You're, oh. like, <laughs> you're like, all right, thanks for the 85 minutes of just pure hell <laughs> emotional hell like it even the way it looks it's of course it's one of my you know top 10 or 15 favorite films of all time because i am who i am but my point is the whole time i'm watching that i assume that it's going to end in pure and utter dread and i'm not going to say how but it just doesn't mm-hmm. and the surprise was so well earned yeah that i began sobbing and i find myself usually sobbing every time and it is not for 
it is for a sad reason because the whole movie's sad, but the scene that makes you or rather me cry is not a technically sad moment. And I fucking love that about that movie. I love that. It's just, <laughs> damn you, Igmar. Damn you, Igmar, you beautiful bastard. Igmar Pod's coming. Bergman Pod's coming, folks. Get ready. It's coming soon. You better yes, get ready. It's, it's, yep. it's, yeah, I'm teasing it months in ahead of advance <laughs> to get people ready, but it's coming. Get, start watching your Ingmar and then join us. I, I mentioned this movie on our most memorable movie going experiences, but to me, this is pure cinema and that's the end of 1917. Oh yeah. Yeah. God. It's I, so I, good. I, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to get into too much because I, I, I said everything I really want to say in that previous episode. Th- that is just pure cinema in the sense of there is no dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's just the moment, the camera, the, every, the music, everything that's going on in the back. It's all meant, it's designed to do exactly what it does. It makes you root for this moment. Like, And if you think about it, it is actually really stupid. Because like, well, I mean, the whole movie's been building up to it, and it's just—it's really human to me. The guy, even a guy says yes. like, you "Can't go up that way. You can't run that way." It's like it's not yeah. the way we do this, and he just does. He's like, "I gotta fucking get there." <laughs> this guy just needs to run mm-hmm. up like a, 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 like a hundred yards or something like that. That's it. That's all he has to do. Yep. Now, but now the stakes that are into it have been built in in the history of what it is. But ultimately, all that scene is is a guy running. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And and yet it is the most breathtaking run I think maybe quite possibly ever put to cinema. I don't think that there is a more meaningful run I've ever seen in a movie other than that. I think that's probably true. I don't think I because running is like a thing in movies. Oh yeah, we gotta we should do a running list. I for whatever reason, yeah, Allie loves when I call out bad running when we're watching movies oh i do the same thing so many movies have bad running that's why we harped on so many the shame michael fassbender run for so long because he's actually fucking running like that's and it's a great run solid run there are so many movies i'm like who taught the men to run like what is that is that how that person runs in real life have they never gone for a jog but anyway so my next one i'm gonna do it quickly it is it's the last it's like the final six minutes of Spike Lee's Malcolm X because I had seen biopics before, but I don't know. Actually, I know for a fact I had never seen the real subject be featured in that biopic. And, you know, do we see this like a lot nowadays where they'll have Wolf of Wall Street? He has like a cameo in the end. Okay. But I didn't know you were quote unquote like allowed to do that. So once Denzel leaves the movie, once Malcolm X is killed in the movie. We only see the real Malcolm for the rest of the film. And it's it's a montage scored by Ozzie Davis's eulogy, which he actually spoke at the at Malcolm X's funeral. So it's just it's such a powerful moment, you know, here at this final hour. Oh my God. Real quick, Michael Mann's Ali. Oh Christ. Man's recreation of the rumble in the jungle is one of my favorite set pieces he has ever done. And he has done some amazing set pieces. We talked about the key bank robbery a lot. But John Voight, as Howard Cosell yelling, it is over. It is over. It is <laughs> over. It just never fails to move. But you got like Ron Silver as Angelo Dundee doing the count, silent count. Oh, God. And Cosell in real life didn't even call the Rumble in the Jungle. So it's not even like realistic, but it doesn't matter. Void still absolutely nails it. But is it fair to say, based on today's conversation, that Denzel 
is your number one guy to go to for a cry, whether he's directing or acting? It would seem so. I mean, that's like the fourth time I've mentioned him. Spike Lee as well. Like, it's really interesting that a lot of my favorite filmmakers aren't present on this list. There's no, yeah, there's yeah. no, Mine too. You know, there's no Tarantino. I did get Bergman in there, but there's no, what? There's no Cassavetes. There's no Scorsese. There's no, I, you know, no Fincher. There, I don't have C in France. No C in France. You know, there's, it's just, it's interesting how, that's just not really what their exercise is, I suppose. But, you know. Yep. Yeah, I guess so. Like, his work, his work is profoundly moving in Malcolm X, but it's honestly the eulogy that stirs me the most. But yeah, I think Denzel is, and we even talked about Glory, which didn't even make our list, but it's still one yep. that absolutely works. Shit. Yeah, I guess so. Fuck. This is the newest movie Ooh. that I think is on any of our lists. And this is a movie that kind of, encapsulates all of the feelings that I have about life, but I but I cried sad and happy for it. And I think it was also pure cinema. So I kind of saved it for this. And that's um it, it's not your favorite, I know, but everything everywhere all at once. Dude, I, I can already see like your grin. No, I'm grinning because this, you're fucking calling me out on the podcast. Like I am not gonna be able to edit around this. Oh, I'll start. I'll say I'll No, I'll, it's fine. I'll, Keep I'll, going. I'll, this is I'll, this is going to have to come about at some point. It's good because at some point, this yeah, is going to make I assume this is gonna be your number one of two thousand twenty two. And so as of right now, it is. So it's going to be brought up in conversation and I can either stay silent or give my two cents like now, which is just to say that I, as always, deeply appreciate whenever you find a connection to any movie, the film quite simply was not for me. I don't hate, uh, there are a lot of movies that a lot of people like that just don't fully click in for me. I didn't think there was anything offensive about the movie. I didn't think it wasted my time. Wasn't anything like that. I just, I got every single thing it was doing and it just wasn't for me. Nothing about it confused me. It wasn't, I wasn't angry at it. Nothing like that. I got what you were putting down. It just wasn't for me. That's all I can say. And, and, and if we're and it, it's the same thing as Ad Astra. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, like what connected with you wasn't for me, but I certainly don't think Ad Astra is a bad movie. Because when we talk about bad movies, like they, we just don't even talk about them because there's nothing worth mentioning. There's no need. There's no need to talk about a dog shit movie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But for me, everything, everywhere, all at once really summed up in, in the most unique and creative way that I can imagine a lot of my existential thoughts that confound me, that um, pique my curiosity, that scare me, that I love. Like, I cried a lot during that movie at various times. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to put that one out there because that's the newest one. And I haven't had a, an experience in the theater crying like that in quite a bit. I really am interested because my theory, the theory I said is that I didn't think this movie would do well on streaming or home video, and I'm dead wrong on that. Its fans have become even more excited for it, but I don't know if you've rewatched it, and I'm really interested to know if it will hold up for you. Let's say I that, that, this movie will be nominated for Oscars. To, to hear me now, I folks. As, no, 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 no. It, yes, trust me. No, 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 trust me. This is, it's it's A24. I hope you're right. Dude, I just don't see it. Their first movie they, they produced and distributed, Moonlight, a $1.5 million movie. That won Best Picture. This is the biggest movie they've ever released in terms of making money. They are going to put mm. everything they have behind it and it's well seen. It's an indie darling. 
Michelle Yeoh, everyone's just on board. Like, this woman needs to be up here. Yeah. She's getting nominated. You're looking at screenplay. Director is a bit of a stretch, but if they do 10 Best Picture nominations, it's in there. It's in there, no question. Mark my fucking words for it. This is an objective opinion of someone who has admitted now that the movie isn't really for them. I would be... It's one of the most talked about movies of the year, certainly, and for good press. Good press. It is, and yes. It, people are like, well, it's just August. We have a ways to go. Yes. Uh, we don't really have too much more to go. I mean, I'm excited about some movies coming out, but in terms of Oscar fare, it's going to be around. It's well, going to be around. I I think it's it's got the same thing. Like, there are a crazy amount of fans, but I think it is, like, the fans that feel like how I feel about it. Like it really is like the cinematic experience of like a lifetime, it seems like. Mm -hmm. But for the other ones, it's just people kind of have the other reaction where it's not that they hate it. They're like, ah, yeah, it just didn't really it just didn't do it for me. And um, but it does seem like the fans that champion this movie, it is it's a pretty boisterous crowd. Yeah. If Coda can sneak up and win like best picture and just catch this train that starts from like. I don't know when, where, or how. I I mean. <laughs> Fucking Coda. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I mean, anything is possible at this point. Uh, trust me. Like, fucking. <laughs> I guess it's true. Coda's not even a bad movie. I cried watching Coda. No, I, it's it got, not. It's not at all. I just. To, to manipulate you to, like, feel something in the end. That's why it wins. But it's like, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, tr- just trust me. I just me. can't believe it's a best. No, forever and ever and ever. It is on a coveted list of The Godfather. <laughs> I have two, we already mentioned him, but I have two Maliks. Uh. I, I could probably pick out a scene from every Malik movie. The conclusion of The New World is probably as pure cinema as it gets for me. It's, you know, she says, can we not go home? Christian Bale's like, right away. And then we see the story wrapping up. We see... The conclusion of how the lives of some of these people ended and Wagner's Das Rheingold is just booming away and it's pure cinema and the camera's moving and it's, oh my God, and the way Bale's narration is, you know, that you, our child, should live. It just like fucking kills me. I really think... It's such, you know, the new world is such a slow movie. I still, I need my new world day because I bought that sick criterion i'm sitting here staring at it and there's three versions on it and i've seen two of them but i've never saw he has like an original cut like the very first early cut and then the theatrical cut and then the director so i'm blocking out one of these days here i'm just gonna do boom 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 but it's a very slow meditative piece and the way it just ends with such a sense of resolve i love it i love it and then the tree of life is it's a sequence really right in the middle of the movie and that's the, you know, you will be grown before that tree is tall. It's the kids being born. Everyone's growing up. You get, you know, Brad Pitt staring at the little feet and we're following the kid on his level <laughs> as he runs in the kitchen. It just, even, I'm like getting chills. When you watch movies sometimes, not every movie, but when I watch a Malick movie, I'm like, this guy was put here to do one thing. Yeah. And he can write poems. He can compose music. He can write the great all-American novel that comes out, you know, next year. I don't know. He is a master poetic filmmaker. And he's just yes, born he to cause these pure cinema moments. Oh, my God. They're incredible. All right. My last one. I kind of say I should have done this first in the pure cinema <laughs> explanation because this is if I if someone's like, what, what does pure cinema mean if I'm describing it? 
a movie that a lot of people have seen and a scene that a lot of people will know what I'm talking about right away. You just have to go the docking scene from Interstellar. This is like as oh. pure as it gets. And you're just watching, you know, come on Tars. And you're just watching this thing chug away. And Hans Zimmer's score is just blaring. And you're like, are they actually going to be able to fucking pull this spin off? Like, you know, that movie's eight years old at this point now. And I remember seeing that in the theater in the Arclight Dome and not even like breathing. I don't remember breathing during that sequence. Oh, yeah. being, and then like tears nope. just started streaming down my face. And I didn't really, I wasn't like, afraid like oh are they gonna make it it was just so fucking beautiful it was just the way it was done was absolutely mesmerizing to me it, it still is and that is pure cinema and, and yeah. even more so than you know something like 1917 or some of the other movies that we've referenced because the emotion that comes out of us as an audience when watching that scene even if we didn't know who these characters were leading up to it mm -hmm. i think we would still have that emotional reaction yeah yeah there is something about all of that put together that you almost don't even need the previous uh time before it to feel what that's about yeah it's just like the physics of it like when when it's spinning and it fucking sinks and they sync up together and those organs are just blaring i i remember going oh my god like i get what they're doing now i understand the you know the science of all this why they need to spin that fast it would oh and of course that would make you like pass out potentially oh my god it's just so good it's so good so and not to mention the other like unbelievably good scene that makes me cry in that movie is mm -hmm. Matthew McConaughey, oh when he's God. watching the the years go by in the span of like two minutes, like that is just that is one of the most impressive feats of crying acting I've ever seen. I would say absolutely really smart to mute him. You don't hear him crying, and instead we're just watching it. He's like, yeah, sobbing, breaking down, and you're just seeing literally life flash before his eyes in a series of videos. Boom, boom. Yep, oh, it's yeah. so well done. It's it really is like it, and and you also think about the reality that like you know that's an actor who went to work that day because all there was nothing for him. Nope. You know that that was him in a chair, and all right. Here you go. God, Take your time. Seriously. I would love to know how they did that. Do, yeah. do what you got to yeah. do. So the last movie that I want to bring up is a personal one. And I think it's a pure cinema moment, though it also registers to me on a happy level personally. And it, it's happened now. This is the third time and they've all been different. And that's 2018's. This is, I've referenced this movie in our second episode of our favorite movies of the 2010s. Oh, yeah. It's a Star is Born by Bradley Cooper. We haven't had too many musical performance numbers. We haven't talked about those a lot today, but that is yep. that's right up there. That's just an all timer. And that is it. And like the first time I saw that movie, I remember I saw it with my mom and I cried in that moment because of the cinema mm -hmm. aspect of it. It's everything about it. Like, but the second time I saw that movie, I cried for a very different reason because I wasn't in the cinema. I was at home. I was really relating to Lady Gaga's character in a lot of ways. And I'm not saying that this is what the scene is. It's just how I took it. She didn't believe that she was good mm -hmm. at something. And she didn't want to go up and do it. And when she did and she belts out that note that we all know because it's a fucking great ass song, Shallow, <laughs> there's a moment of, in, her, in her eyes that I received as that human being recognizing in that moment that 
she is good at something. Mm-hmm. And I took that very personally. And I started to cry because I didn't think maybe at that time when I was watching it that I was good at anything or I needed to be reminded that I was or that I could be or all of that, all of that stuff. And so I am like forever connected to that moment outside of the cinema aspect, but it's become something so much more for me. And I'm so excited because they are playing that movie at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery at the end of September. Oh, man. I am going to go and see the shit out of that movie in the cemetery. That's going to be awesome. People are going to be singing along. Oh, that's going to be great. Oh, it's going to be so good. Yep. I cannot wait. I was like, this is a perfect movie for that. Wow, that was a lot of fun. That was emotional. <laughs> some sad stuff, some happy stuff, some pure cinema stuff. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at my wall of movies, and these are just the ones I own, not even close to how many more scenes I could think of that make me cry. I mean, the, I know, the final I know. hug in Goodwill Hunting like kills me every time. There, there are so many more. I just... This isn't a comprehensive Wilson. list. <laughs> Wilson, sure. This isn't a comprehensive <laughs> list. It was just the things that hit us the most. But it kind of sounds like you and I have been saving one for what are you watching here. And that makes me happy because I'm interested to see where you're going to go. But would you like to go first? Oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, <laughs> I guess we'll just bring, bring it, back, it on back. You know, go for whatever. It. Mine, I have, uh, I have a little bit of story time for mine, so we'll see. Uh... I have a little bit of mine, too. Okay, good. Well, take it away. Again, referencing the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, last week I had one of my favorite experiences there where I got to see 1996's Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Wow, nice. It holds up so well. The the way that this movie presents itself, the one that the, my biggest takeaway from watching that in the cemetery, where this movie is almost thirty years old, it's like twenty five <laughs> years old. If yep. this movie, exactly as it is, came out today, it would find an audience. Yeah, there was nothing about this movie that seemed dated in any sort of way, other than you know the youth of some of the actors, right? And um, so it was great. So I'm recommending Romeo and Juliet, Leo. That's awesome. America's that's, act. That's so cool you got to see it. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool you got to see it um, there. A venue I still have never been to, even though I lived there for several years. Oh. I can't believe it. Stupid. Uh, we got to like plan something yep. for me to... Maybe I'll come out for... We got to plan. <laughs> maybe I'll come out for that one. Oh, my God. For Star is Born. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, I just rewatched Romeo and Juliet. Like, the first time I'd seen it since I was a kid, really, for uh, my Paul Sorvino binge before I was on BBC. It holds up, right? Yeah, it does. I mean, when you shoot it in that way, like, all of his movies are that high stylized. Like, it's kind of like, we talked about this sometimes before, it was it was dated and aged when it was released, which kind of helps. Yes. It means usually it's just going to be locked in. And it is. Like, it's locked into that. Yep. And it's so fun to see so many of those cast members that, like, were just always around in the I 90s. Know. And some, some of them are, some of them are. But, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun to go do that. Um, yeah, a little, little bit of story time here. So earlier, earlier you asked me, is there any actor, like, crying that can trigger you? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with story time and then get to the scene. So I'll make this quick. It's, you know, oh boy. it was what it was. In June 2005, I went to the beach with some friends and I went out for a walk one evening, late evening on the beach alone and was accosted by uh, three men who 
just jumped me basically, got my money, did a number on me. And it was, it was a real defining moment of my life, certainly. And like, I knew how to fight. So I knew how to defend myself. I was pretty, I, they got some good licks in it. I'd go to the hospital ambulance. It was, it was like a whole thing. It was a, you know, it was a time. Your physical wounds heal quickly. That stuff never really bothered me. It doesn't hurt that much to get like punch kicked around once or twice. I don't know. The emotional scar of that followed me around for years and years and took therapy and took, took on meditation, took, I got hypnotized. Like it was, it was a whole, like literally I went to (laughs) hypnotherapy. Like it was, it was a process of realizing I didn't have to have like my guard up every time I went out and not just my guard, like a guard that when you go out walking around like that, you're looking for trouble is what I realized. Like you're looking for, oh, like let someone talk to me, let someone do something. It's like, yeah, you don't have to be, you know, it's just a process. That's all. It's a process of finding a good <laughs> emotional balance. The only thing about this event that still shakes me up, directly after I was jumped, I found the street and started walking down the street and I ran into two people and I looked a bloody mess and I was asking them like, can you help me find the house I'm staying in? Because I don't know, I don't remember where it is. Like, can you help me? And they were sobbing and they're like, yes, of course. I didn't remember this. This was all told to me later. Those are my two really, really good friends, two people I came to the beach with and I didn't recognize them mm. because I was in such a state of shock and horror. And again, I don't remember this. They had to tell me this later. I have never seen that sense of shock communicated on screen better than Tom Hanks in the end of Captain Phillips. When he is on that table and that real life nurse is working on him and he's getting distracted and glancing out. I mean, when I saw that movie in the theater, I, I, there's very, I've never walked out of a movie in the theater. I never, because I'm like, I fuck it. I made the trip here. I'm I'm staying here. I'm watching it. And I've never done it for like a, this is too much for me that this is one of the closest. I almost had to walk out because it was like, that had to have, I, I was told that that was exactly how I was behaving in the hospital after. Like, I didn't recognize anyone. I was acting like everything was cool, but I was so fucked up. Like, I mean, it just bruises, cuts, things were broken. Like, it was, and I'm like, no, like, I can leave. And just, and then I would start, like, intermittently crying because of the horror of it and then stop really quickly. That sense of shock, I've never, I've seen people try to be shocked in a movie and I've seen them what I thought they were doing it well, he completely redefined that emotion for me in the way he did it. The fact that he wasn't nominated. I know, <laughs> just for that fucking, scene. It's a joke, just for that scene. It's some of the best acting he's ever done. I, I like that movie. I own that movie. But I know, like, if I'm putting this on where this goes, I'm going to be... It just, you know, it just reminds me of that. Like, it's so, it was so profound. Seeing that movie actually helped kind of resolve some things from that attack. Because It's funny, because, like... You know, I thought I had resolved everything from that, from June 2005. Seeing that movie, I had not. And it was like, okay, I need to just got to check in with yourself every once in a while to make sure you're still good about everything and make sure that you're not going to go in a tailspin from seeing like a really good actor convey shock very well. And Mm -hmm. it was a tailspin that took me like a day to get out of. That's okay. It was... But yeah, fuck Captain Phillips, Paul Greengrass. It's just a really good movie. It's like the whole thing is, but that, that final scene is... Jesus. Oh, that's I I've always said that that I think that's just one of the greatest acting moments for me personally that I've ever seen. Yeah, it really like, is. It really it is. It really it's is so good. That's it. Cry baby.
We made it. <laughs> we did it. This is a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. And if the only thing that I can say is like, go out there and watch some movies that make you cry. It will be good for you. Yeah. To to stir that emotion up within yourself is, you know, I don't know. It's not always an easy thing to do, but I like that I have those few trigger films or, the, or those few trigger scenes that can always kind of get me there. Of course, we want to know what makes you cry, what scenes, what performances, what movies. Let us know on Twitter at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. And as always, thanks for listening and happy watching. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can find us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. Next time is for the hardcore movie buffs. We are going to break down Christoph Kozlowski's masterful Three Colors trilogy. They're on HBO. Watch them and join us. Stay tuned. <laughs>